Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Foundations Podcast. Remember, we're working our way through the Old Testament, and we talked about in the past weeks this concept of 17.5.17 when it comes to the structure of the Old Testament. There are 39 Old Testament books, and the first 17, the historical books, they give us the storyline of the Old Testament, right? And then the next five are the poetical books. Those give us sort of man's response to the story covered in the first 17 books. And then the last 17 books, the prophetical books, give us sort of God's commentary on the story in the first 17 books. Okay. Now, last week we started looking at the historical books and we looked at the first five specifically. And those five books are called the Pentateuch, which just means five books. They're also called the Law or the Law of Moses. And those books really lay a foundation for the rest of the Bible. We see the the major themes of scripture are laid out in those first five books. Okay. We see creation. We see mankind rebelling against God. We see the fall. We see sin enter the world. But already in Genesis 3.15, God promises to bring redemption, to bring salvation through the offspring of the woman. And God begins to enact that plan of salvation by making promises to Abraham and then ultimately to his descendants as well, the Israelites. And really, these first five books answer the question, how can a perfect God dwell in the presence of sinful men? That's what they're seeking to answer. These books give us the terms by which Israel can dwell in the promised land with God in their midst and be blessed. But if they aren't faithful to those terms, to the covenant that they've made with God, they're going to face judgment. So whether or not Israel is faithful to the covenant with God will really drive the rest of the Old Testament story. So keep that covenant in mind. Those first five books give us the foundation for the rest of the story. Now this week I want us to look at the next 12 historical books, the rest of the historical books. That's from Joshua through Esther. Okay, now we obviously won't have time to go into details about every book because there's 12 books here, but remember that the first five historical books, the Pentateuch, give us the terms of the covenant. Okay, then the next 12 historical books from Joshua to Esther, like we said, in these books, we're going to see whether Israel is actually faithful or not to that covenant. Okay, so the first five books give us a covenant. Now, these books are going to show us how well or how poorly Israel does in staying faithful to that covenant. Now, another part of the story to keep in mind here is remember God's promises to Abraham. Okay, God promised Abraham many descendants, which was fulfilled in part, at least, in the first five books. We see Israel becomes a nation. Then God also promised Abraham land, but at this point in the story, Israel's not in that promised land yet. And then God promised to bring a worldwide blessing through Abraham's descendants, and that has not yet happened. So we want to keep those promises in mind. After those first five books, we're left wondering, how is God going to fulfill those promises to Abraham? So we have a couple different tensions here. One is, how will God fulfill the promises he made to Abraham? And another one is, will Israel be faithful to the covenant or to the law that God made with Israel through Moses? Now, just a quick note on the structure of these 12 historical books from Joshua to Esther. They don't all advance Israel's history, Israel's story, per se. They have sort of a pattern that they follow. So the pattern is you have two books 
that advance the story, and then you have one book that sort of gives a spotlight on something going on during that time. Okay, so for example, you first have Joshua and Judges, which advance the story, and then you have Ruth, which is a spotlight book that tells us about something going on during the time of the Judges. It doesn't really advance the storyline per se, but it gives us another perspective of something going on during that time. Then you have Samuel and Kings. So remember, first and second Samuel and first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles. Those books were originally each one book, but they were later split into two scrolls because of their length, their longer books. So you have Samuel and Kings. Those advance the story of Israel. But then you come to Chronicles, and Chronicles covers a lot of the same history as First and Second Kings, but it does so with a little bit different perspective. Then you come to Ezra and Nehemiah, which again advance the story of Israel. But then you have Esther, which is a spotlight on a story that happened during the time of Ezra. Okay, so keep that structure in mind. It's important to know that not every single book that we're going to talk about really advances the, the storyline of Israel. So the first book we're going to talk about is the book of Joshua. After Moses dies, Joshua is commissioned as the leader of Israel. And remember, he's one of the spies who trusted God when they scouted out the promised land. They sent 12 spies into the land, and only two of them gave a positive report, and those two were Caleb and Joshua. And God tells Joshua, in this is chapter 1 of Joshua, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people, the Israelites, to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. So God reminds Joshua and the Israelites to be faithful to the covenant. Remember we said that's going to drive the rest of the Old Testament story, whether or not they are faithful to the covenant. And under Joshua, they follow God's commands. They're they're faithful. They cross the Jordan River on dry ground just as they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground with Moses. They conquer the promised land. They defeat the sinful Canaanite nations living in the land. And once they conquer the land, once they are in the land, they split it amongst the, the 12 tribes. So now two of God's promises to Abraham are fulfilled. Israel is a large nation, so Abraham has many descendants. And they're dwelling in the land promised to Abraham. They're dwelling in the promised land. So it seems like worldwide blessing is just right around the corner. Things are going well. But if Joshua records victory, the book of Judges, which comes next, records defeat. It records Israel's repeated failure to keep the covenant. Judges chapter 1 tells us that Israel fails to completely remove the Canaanite nations from the land as God had commanded them. And so the people start to fall into idolatry. They start worshiping gods, little g gods, of the other people in the promised land. So they fall into these cycles of sin where Israel turns away from God, they turn to idols, and then God in response hands Israel over to oppressors. Different nations come and oppress Israel. Israel suffers and they then cry out to God to save them. And so then God will raise up a deliverer or judge to save them. Now, they're called judges, but remember, they they rarely do any legal ruling or judging. They're really more like military leaders, in a sense. 
one of the most well-known judges would be Samson. Now, these cycles of sin continue, and they're not just cycles. It's actually sort of a downward spiral for Israel as their sin becomes more and more out of control. And finally, the book concludes in chapter 21 with the words, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is really a low point in Israel's history, one of numerous low points in Israel's history. But in the midst of this darkness, the next book, Ruth, shines as a bright spot. Now remember, this book takes place during the time of the judges, so it doesn't really advance the storyline per se. It's not new history, but it tells us something that's going on during this time. So when there's seemingly no faith to be found in Israel, Ruth, who is a Moabite woman, demonstrates her faithfulness. And because of that faithfulness, she's included in the line of David and of Jesus. She's an ancestor of David and Jesus. So we start to see that God's promise to Abraham of bringing a blessing to the whole world is being fulfilled here. We have a Moabite woman, Ruth. She's not an Israelite, but she's being included in the people of God. And she's actually listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. Then we come to First and Second Samuel, and these books, which were originally one book, give us the story of how Israel came to have a, a king. And this story begins with Samuel, who was the last of the judges. And Israel really begins to cry out for a king. They want a king to rule them like the surrounding nations. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And Samuel is upset by this. But God tells him in 1 Samuel 8, 7, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So Israel has rejected God as their true king. God is supposed to be their king, but they long instead for an earthly king. Then we come to Saul, who is anointed as the first king of Israel. And he initially shows promise, but much like Adam and Eve and Israel in general, he rejects God, he takes matters into his own hand, and he is eventually rejected by God as king. So then God raises up David to be king. But before becoming king, David had been persecuted and harassed by Saul. But through all of that, David trusted God. And God actually calls David a man after his own heart. So then Samuel anoints David as the second king of Israel. And God makes a promise that David will have an offspring who will sit on the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay, keep that promise in mind. That's going to be important. This promise tells us that God's promise to Abraham of a worldwide blessing will now come through David's descendant, this king. But we see pretty clearly that it won't be fulfilled through David himself because David falls into adultery with Bathsheba. And then to make matters worse, he murders her husband Uriah to take her as his own wife. But God's promise to David is not withdrawn. Okay, But it's clear that it won't be fulfilled through David himself. Then we come to First and Second Kings. And here we see David's son Solomon becomes king. And he is initially committed to God and he builds a temple for God's presence to dwell in. Remember previously, God dwelled with Israel through the tabernacle, which was a, a tent-like structure, sort of a, a portable temple, you could say. So Solomon builds a permanent temple in Jerusalem and everything seems to be going well. This is kind of a high point for Israel. But then Solomon takes many wives. He falls into 
idolatry, and he turns his back on God. And under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, Israel splits into two kingdoms. This is in 1 Kings chapter 12. There's now a northern kingdom of Israel, which has 10 tribes. They retain the name Israel because they have a, a majority of the tribes. And there's a southern kingdom called Judah because Judah is the larger of the, the two southern tribes. And really, the rest of First and Second Kings describe the, the various kings of Israel and of, of Judah. Now, all the kings of Israel are evil, every single one. Judah at least has a few good kings, but in both cases, for both Israel and Judah, because of their sin, they're taken into exile. Okay, remember we said that Israel would face punishment if they weren't faithful to the covenant? Well, we see that the northern kingdom is taken into exile by Assyria in 722 BC. That's in 2 Kings chapter 17. The southern kingdom of Judah is taken into exile by Babylon in 586 BC. That's in 2 Kings 25. So just as Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden for their sin, so Israel is exiled from the promised land. It seems like at this point things are kind of moving backwards regarding God's promises. Okay, Israel is no longer in the promised land and they're subject to foreign nations, which means David doesn't have a descendant on his throne. But then we come to First and Second Chronicles, and these are our spotlight books. Remember, these were originally one book, just like Samuel and Kings. And Chronicles covers much of the same history as Kings, as First and Second Kings, but they cover it in a different way. Okay, so First and Second Kings look backwards, and they're more negative in a sense. They explain why Israel was taken into exile. But First and Second Chronicles, which were written later, they were written after the exile, are more forward-looking. So they focus more on the promise made to David that he will have a descendant who will sit on the throne of his kingdom forever. And they serve more as a means of encouraging the Israelites that there's still hope. God is still in control. He will still be faithful to his promises. Okay, so First and Second Chronicles are a little bit more positive in a sense. Then we come to the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And in these books, God's people are allowed to return to the promised land. They return from exile and they rebuild Jerusalem and they rebuild the temple and they restore worship of God. But it's not all good news. The temples rebuilt only modestly. And there's no record of God's presence returning to the temple. And they're still subject to a foreign nation, Persia, at this point. So th there's no king from David's line on the throne. And that means that the Old Testament story really ends with anticipation of a king who will come from David's line to restore Israel. Then after Ezra and Nehemiah, we have Esther, which is our spotlight book. And Esther happens between Ezra chapters 6 and 7. And it highlights how God providentially protected the Jewish people living in Persia. There was a, a threat to destroy all the Jewish people, but God protected them. And that brings us to the end of the historical books of the Old Testament and the end of the storyline of the Old Testament as well. Really, the rest of the books of the Old Testament fit into this story and help us understand the story, but we've now covered the main story of the Old Testament. Now, a couple of takeaways here. Remember, the Old Testament is a story without an end. It leaves us in anticipation, thinking, who will be this king from David's line, and how will God bring a worldwide blessing through him? Now, these books also help us see that 
Victory over sin is going to take something supernatural because clearly human effort and strength is not enough. We see that in Israel's repeated failures over and over and over again. They fail to keep the covenant. So something supernatural is going to have to take place to rescue Israel and to rescue humanity from their sin. Keep that in mind as we move forward. But that's all for now. As always, remember why we're doing this. We want to equip you so that you can make disciples who make disciples and so that you can make Jesus' final words your first work.